Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. Boom, there it is. We are live, we're cranking, we're recording, and I'm excited to introduce the guest today. He is, he is cool, man. He is a marketing leader, an author, thought leader, um, executive, but he makes marketing cool. So we could all just use this next hour or so to just get looped in on how marketing can really step up, how we can align with sales. He's written numerous books, Social CRM, Branding Yourself, Twitter, Marketing for Dummies, recognized by all sorts of people as a 40 under 40 alumni of the year, all these different things. Um, CMO at Lessonly, Kyle Lacey, welcome to the show. Hey, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you yeah, for I having me. I almost lost myself great... in your introduction. There's just so many things. I'm just looking at this list. <laughs> that was a great, that was one of the better introductions I've ever had. So I appreciate it. Well, and I just could... to be clear, a lot of those awards, like, I got, I barely graduated college and got young alumni the year, the year after I graduated. So most of it is just made up. Okay. I was going to say, <laughs> how much did that cost? <laughs> All the awards. <laughs> it's good to be here though, man. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Totally. So we're here, we're doing a podcast. It's a Friday today. It's a Friday. Yep. And uh, so if you're listening to this and it's like Tuesday, uh-uh. For the next hour, this is Friday, whatever day you're listening to this on. So here we are, and I want to pass you this thing. It's kind of heavy for me, but I'm sure you're just going to be able to totally rock this thing. Here you go. This is Thor's hammer. Go ahead, take that. You got it? Take it. All right. Oh, one hand, too. Look at that. Oh, yeah. What's going on? So, Kyle, take that thing. Smash for me some kind of myth, bogus strategy, marketing, sales, misconception that just drives you crazy and set the record straight once and for all. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think the first one, and this is something I've been talking about recently, is uh, the fact that for some reason, uh, a lot of CMOs or marketing leaders do not transition into sales. Interesting. Even though sales leaders have the tendency to transition to lead marketing. So you get a, you get a chief sales officer and a CMO, and that chief sales officer is more likely to become a CRO than the marketing leader for some reason. And I, uh, it doesn't make much sense to me, honestly. And that's the myth I would love to just destroy. The yeah, fact unless that a CMO can be a CRO. So a CMO can be a CRO. Yeah. But they don't always think they can be or something for some reason. Well, for some reason, if you like, if you're in a boardroom and the board, more than likely the board's gonna say, I think the VP of sales should become the CRO and lead marketing and sales. Most of the time, it's not the marketing leader that they're putting into that position. And should and, they be? Do you think they should be like thinking of it the opposite direction? Uh, sometimes. I, yeah. I, there's caveats in all this stuff, right? Yeah, there's of course. How big's the company? How yeah. fast are you scaling? What's the experience? What are your frontline managers doing? What, what are their experiences? But I, I think in a world where um, features, uh, you know, I, I, I work for a software company, so features, product features are definitely something that we talk about quite a bit. But in a world where um, competitors can spin up features with, in a matter of weeks instead mm-hmm. of years, 
yeah. a feature set is not a differentiator anymore. Mm. You know, so truly understanding what makes customers tick, truly understanding what makes your brand effective in the current market, and truly understanding how to work your culture as a company into the marketing messaging and the sales messaging, I think is the future of outbound sales, honestly. And I, it's wow. the only reason I say that is because I'm seeing that at Lessonly, the company I work for, we moved the BDRs and SDRs under the marketing org about a year and a half ago. Um, and we've seen greater alignment on messaging, on understanding use cases, on personas. And we've also seen more creativity from the BDRs and SDRs because we are giving them the freedom to do it. Examples are, we're trying to get into Ford. The BDR is ordering remote control trucks that we then put lessonly on the side and we send those out in direct mail. <laughs> you know, just things that yeah. a sales leader, most of the time will not think about that stuff because sales is a science and all this stuff that they talk about. Um, but with all of this, I think that I think that a great CRO has to have great direct reports, right? Has to have, has to have great VPs of brand, VPs of marketing, VPs of sales, and um, it's just the creativity that you have to have, the the um, obsession over the customer and the challenges they're facing is more um, impactful if it lives in marketing. Now, that being said, I believe marketing should own a revenue number anyway. Okay. And I will always preach that. I don't think a lot of marketing leaders do that. Um, so if you're a marketing leader that doesn't own a revenue number and talks about MQLs and pipeline, you're probably not going to be one that can transition into a CRO role. But I'm going to stop there because I'm just, I'm more of a soapbox right now. No, no, you're preaching. You're preaching. I love it. It's like shouting <laughs> it out. You're you're not, you're like walking down the streets of uh, the great city, knocking the, the shame bell and just telling people <laughs> it's time, it's time, right? And uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff to dissect here. Um, I mean, let's talk about the BDR thing for a little bit because they've got more freedom. The idea of the Ford truck, is there something about sales, especially if you get formulaic and you get to the, the calculations where we know if you make 100 calls today, you'll get, you know, 48% appointments and then- yeah. They know the they sort of the funnel pipeline of that, so they want you to. No, I don't need you to be creative here, Casey. I want you to just get on the freaking phone and make some phone calls, call those leads, you know, or make those leads. Whereas maybe in marketing, what is it? Not more creative, but just have the bigger. Well, picture. it's more. It's more. It's a. It's a greater focus on the experience, and oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not that. Say, I want to be clear. It's not the sales doesn't care about the experience. They. If sales wasn't good at the experience, then sales cycles would stall and they wouldn't be able to close deals. True. But when you're trying to get somebody's attention, I think it is a different process than trying to work them through a sales funnel. So getting someone's attention. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the, you know, at Lessonly, our marketing team talks about what would blank do and each, each rep, each brand and demand employee has to put their favorite e-commerce or retail brand. So mine is what would Nike do? Somebody else's is what would Warby Parker do? And that's how we think about marketing at Lessonly is to say the consumer experience or the prospect's experience is paramount to everything else. So if you need to spend 
an extra couple hours trying to figure out where this prospect went to school or whether or not where they worked before and just spend more time prospecting because your outreach email needs to be personal and human. I would much rather them do that than do a, a, a 500 phone calls in three hours because they have an auto dialer and they're just trying to get in front of people. Right. So, so it's, it, it's more about um, if you have a great brand experience at top of funnel, I think you should unite the spear going into battle, right? And and all of the first touch points mm-hmm. should be all under one roof. And that just happens to be marketing at Lessonly. Uh, but I think that's fairly similar to a lot of co- companies in our stage. So, you know, between between five and 40 million in revenue and between 50 and 400 employees. You know, you talked about getting someone's attention. I start it because there's a art and a science and a magic to it without pissing them off. You can, I get attention to people and they can be really mad at me. I think that's what psychopaths do. But <laughs> the, the point of getting people's attention and then maybe they eventually do business with me is totally different. And then you, to follow up on it, maybe you can talk more about this in the fact that getting all the first touches under one roof I had never really thought about that. But you're right. If you know, if marketing is doing their version of first touches and sales has a completely different version, they're doing either cold calls or whatever it is. And it's disjointed. We have different content, different approaches. Maybe they know, they know the magic words that'll get the attention and the voicemail callback mm-hmm. and we don't, or we do and they don't, but, but, but centering it all like a center of excellence around initial contact. It's like the aliens have landed. We have a group that deals with that. Let's yeah. go after them in many different channels. Yeah. And, and, like and just, and alignment's important. And if you, yeah. I think a lot of people talk about marketing and sales alignment. If you pull the SDRs or BDRs under marketing, you are going to force alignment, especially if that, if that team is responsible for sourcing 30, 40% of opportunities for the sales team. Um, but it's all, it's all dependent on who you're selling to, you know, all those caveats we talked about, what's your sales cycle? Is it, are you product-led growth? You have large, are you doing enterprise deals? Are you doing commercial deals? Like the, the sure. structures change depending on the go-to-market strategy. But I found that you give, because marketing is so focused on a great experience, you give the reps the ability to create that on their own. Yeah. You're giving them the, you're giving them the um, freedom to say, you know what, I'm not just going to try to sell features to somebody that works at um, Honeywell or whatever, some other company, I'm going to try to figure out the best Amazon gift card to send them or donors choose or, and they've got this, they've got a continuous um, arsenal of weapons they can use because the marketing, the brand and demand side of our team is constantly coming up with new ideas like the Golden Llama, our board game, uh, Lego Llama, like all this stuff that we do that is not a freaking water bottle. Um, and usually when you let sales run BDRs and they have direct mail and marketing's really focused on top of funnel, you get set, you get boring direct mail like water bottles and t-shirts. That's not a great experience. I don't, I don't care how soft the t-shirt is. Everybody has soft t-shirts now, right? Everyone um, has soft t-shirts now. Yeah. Everybody, because they're cheap now, right? We don't, but are they cheap? I should probably make them soft. They're cheap. They're yeah. cheap. You you and I are old enough where we remember back in the day where uh the all the t-shirts were terrible because you couldn't you yeah. couldn't get soft t-shirts. Right. 
right, right. The only challenge is if your soft T-shirt is like a little too small, you better be the Hulk and you better be jacked because that it's going to show true. every single line in your body. It's going to suck to every so, single everything, you know? It's a medium. Don't wear a medium. So put, putting, a, putting a bow on that, though, yeah. I think it's if you're a CEO listening to this and you're like, hell yeah, we're going to throw our BDRs or even our AEs, depending on the size of your company, under marketing. Wow, shots that, fired. Yeah. That leader has to have experience in owning a revenue number. Okay. If they don't, they're not going to have any idea. And if you move, you know, you and I, before the show, we're talking about becoming a, a CRO and running all of sales as a marketing leader. If you're going to do that, you have to have a lieutenant that is a salesperson. Right. You have to, or you just, it's, you're never going to survive because um, the sales team isn't going to trust you. And you haven't put in the reps of a, being an account executive to be somebody that could lead them. Yeah. Shadow will be run by a marketing person. Right. <laughs> so when the sales manager comes out, I was like, shut up, you get back in your cube, make some more calls. <laughs> but, but, but for some reason, it's okay <laughs> for a sales leader who's never done marketing to run a marketing org. Oh, good call. It just doesn't make it like it doesn't translate they can do equally as bad in that same regard. Absolutely. Yeah. And they'll ignore brand and they'll focus primarily on, unless they're a great, I only know of a couple, but Kyle Coleman from Clary is probably the best C, VP of sales and marketing that I've ever talked to because he understands what brand and demand mean and how they work together and how to drive how to drive success through the SDRs, but also how to own a, a messaging and a story. So Got it. And Kyle his name Coleman. is also Kyle. So is there a trend here? Or? <laughs> no, because no, he's actually running sales. I'm not. I just oh, like to talk I about gotcha. it. Oh, I gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, but there's, it's very rare to find a Kyle Coleman. Very rare. So, okay. Um, I, Shout I just out think to him. That, That's awesome. Yeah, he's great. Um, I just think that if, if we're going to talk about CROs running marketing and sales, it's okay for CMOs to also do it. Got it. Got it. I like it. You know, there's a bunch of nuggets I want to zero in on here. I know you put a bow on it, but I want to add another couple presents to the mix because it's my birthday today. And it's not, it's not my birthday. Um, so one, you said golden llama and you got my attention. And yep. then that was tied to the same idea around, you know, the, the first touch and, you know, the first contact group, you're used to contacting the aliens first and wanted to get your sense on, is there, are there any power tips you have for what does it take to manage that experience for the first touch? No matter what channel it is, BDR and the rest of it, any tips around that? And then tell us about the golden llama and how to avoid the water bottle. <laughs> uh, I think number one tip is make sure you are spending a lot of time on enablement and training uh, okay. of your reps to understand personas and your ICP and your use cases. What are the challenges? How do you speak their language? I think that is, that is hugely important when you're trying to get in front of people. Because if you sound like you have no idea what you're talking about, it's just a batch and blast email, you're going to lose. Yeah. I don't care how many you send, right? That's the first one. Um, the, second, the second one is for first touch and for a lot of the first um, experiences that people have with Lessonly, we, yeah. don't, um, we don't sell. We don't talk about the product. Uh, the only form on our site is for a demo. So everything else is ungated. And it's mostly just to talk about Lessonly as a company 
and how we think about learning, training, and enablement. So, have you been hanging out with like Dave Gerhardt too much? You got rid of all your <laughs> yeah. forms. You got rid of all these forms. You want people to just get this information. You're not jumping in like hard sell right off the bat. You just want people to get information. No, because that's that's that is it's it's our culture. It's what it's it's how we sell. It's how we've always sold. And the Golden Llama plays into that. So we give. Ali Llama is our mascot at Lesson Lee. Llamas are everywhere. It's been our mascot since the company was founded in 2012. And uh, we give a golden llama to employees every quarter. So okay. once, once a quarter, we hand this golden llama to an employee and say, say hey, you live the values of Lesson Lee, thank you. And we've got a wall in our office that are golden llamas and pictures of people that have won it. So our director of marketing, Ben Battaglia, one day was like, why don't we send Golden Llamas to prospects and customers? And so we went, we tried to find these little three inch figurines, llama, plastic llama toys. And we finally found some company in Michigan that made them, nice. ordered, ordered 500 of them. I spray painted all of them gold and we sent 500. And basically the whole point that a card in there and it said, we want you to give this to an employee that exhibits the values of your company. And then we had lessonly.com slash golden mama. And there's nothing about lessonly, nothing about our product or service. And um, it was huge. It was an absolute massive success. People, people were pumped. They were taking pictures with it, posting it online. Uh, we were getting meetings from it. People were answering emails and calls because we, they, we sent this golden llama. And we've done about 5,000 of them since then. Um, so, it, but the, the whole point is that it's not a one sheet that talks about like, we increase your sales team's productivity, right? Right. Like that's going to come later in the sales cycle. All right. we want to do is, is bring the human element to what we're talking about, which is like, in order for your people to do better work, which is our entire marketing campaign, mm -hmm. you have to recognize them for what they do um, well, and that's in the golden llama was just one part of that. So, um, we've had people requesting the golden llamas. We've sent golden llamas to, uh, multiple golden llamas to people to give to their employees. We've had come customers do, um, have golden llama cert certifications and awards within the lessonly app. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's just part of the brand. Wow. And so, you the building the culture into the first touch i think is very important and it gets people's attention and when you have a team like mine that is extremely creative i was very lucky to inherit this team um you can do things like board games and lego llamas and uh llamarita work from home kits and uh just things that we do all custom direct mail basically is the best way to put it we don't we don't order we have some swag, but most of it's just custom, custom built. Yeah. And it's not like something someone's gotten. Like I've, I've gotten too many of those coffee tumblers, you know, like I, I would just donate them now because I, yeah, my shelves, I got too many. Right. Yeah. Well, so going to be like, so, you got to get rid of that. I'm like, yeah. You, so if you're going to send something like that, it has to be useful. Yeah. And, but if you're not going to send something useful, you've got to make something fun and yeah. engaging and the experience where somebody opens it up and they're like, damn, that's awesome. Right. 
not you made it both you made it entertaining and goofy and silly yeah. and by the way we we do is we give these to employees that are awesome we want you yeah. to give one to yours and then it gets people thinking shit what's my mascot it had me thinking i'm like damn what's the chesh mascot we don't have one we need an animal spirit yeah. animal <laughs> um, so we can send it to people it gets people thinking so I, it was both useful and fun at the same time that's cool yeah we have plush you know there's plush llamas there's ollies built in pretty much everything that we do but yeah. i if you're not making an experience direct mail is just going to be another cost center for you and yeah i don't i think it's way too important of a channel to be seen as just a boring cost center yeah, I like how you said infused the culture into the first touch. Like that was important. In in nothing about your culture is a water bottle or a t-shirt. Those are cool rewards, but how can you make it authentic and different and unique to your point? Yeah, and, so, and, and so it, this it, is who we are. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it yeah. also depends on the business model. If I if I was coming at you with a like a hot jar or a um more like type form cheetah cheetah um not cheetah mail uh wow cheetah mail out of the yeah history OG books days. right there <laughs> you still have your oh. cds from aol as well <laughs> if i was doing gosh cheetah, cheetah mail. if i was doing um uh product-led growth i probably wouldn't lead with direct mail where you know it's all about volume but i would use direct mail and upsell so I think it's just I think it's just a matter of what your model is as a business. Got it. So what would be the opposite then? If if it's not product led growth, it's what? It's like Lessonly, where we have sales teams that are. What would you call that? Like brand led growth, or just like customer? No. Marketing uh, product product led growth is where somebody can. I'm going to butcher this, but basically somebody can sign up for your product without talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. You can sell them without talking to anybody and mm-hmm. you can up, you can upsell them without talking to anybody. So like a yeah. monday.com, a type form. Um, uh, there's tons of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the future of software, but. And so you're the opposite in that someone, you do want someone to talk to them first. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. just larger contract values. You know, we sell into the enterprise. Like it's just different. It's a different cycle. Got it. Makes sense. I like the human touch as well anyways. And if you're, if your model can afford it, then it's, it's worth it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the truck, having the truck for Ford. Hey Ford, what's up? Call these guys. They're trying to send you trucks. Um, that sounds a lot like an ABM approach, like a, like a very like tiered, like, okay, we really want to reach out to these guys. What can we do this special for them? You're probably not sending trucks to everyone. No. So is that kind of what that is? Have you made this sort of transition to ABM? And what's your take on ABM? Buzz? Not? No, oh, man. Um, I mean, did I open I, the demon? Did I open the the Pandora's no, box? No, I just feeling? no. <laughs> <laughs> I I just don't. I have never. I've I've never understood why. I've never understood why account based marketing became such a thing because. I, we were doing account base before it was account base, what, right. which kudos to Sangram and Terminus and all these people that created this, this, um, market. I love it. I love that. They, they coined a market. That's impressive as shit, it. isn't it's it? Like, right? that's amazing. Um, but I just, when you, when you get a targeted list of accounts and you build channels, differentiated channel strategies around each account, 
and you have messaging for each account and you're using display advertising and direct mail, that just sounds like marketing to me. It just sounds yeah. like smart marketing, right? So yeah. for me, we, um, we are getting deeper into that, but we've always, for our bigger deals, it's always been account-based. We, we have a targeted list of accounts. Each rep has the ability to work with the marketing team to do a custom video landing page. Um, now, since, since some of the crap we're, we're going through right now with work from home, we, oh, yeah. we're not doing a bunch of custom direct mail. However, um, you know, we were doing things like we have these plush Ali llamas and for like Nike, we were dressing them up in Nike shoes and no we we're trying to way. find Ali llama. Yeah. So it's, so, you know, and, and it's fun for people too, to try to figure yeah. out the best, the best thing to send or whatever. But, um, I, I yeah, I mean, account based to me is just good marketing and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm glad that we coined a term that people can now say they're doing ABM because they should have been doing it decades ago. Right. But they probably were. They just didn't have a name for it. Right. You know, there is an Ali Lama on Facebook. It was in <laughs> Lagos, Nigeria. <laughs> what a name. Uh, are I you serious? Yeah, I looked him up. I'm like, Whoa. oh, your team created a Facebook profile for your Lama. No, there's a guy Whoa. named Ali. Ali Lama. In, that's awesome in nigeria shout out to ali <laughs> oh my gosh that is i, I think he's your future down. spokesperson you should probably re reach out to him well have you have you seen the um is it the uh the apple commercials where they found a guy named mac book oh it's the pc ones because they're trying oh, to yeah all right <laughs> like oh i like pcs better my name is mac book it's funny. <laughs> his name really oh. is mac book Oh, I love that commercial. And they have him dressed like a hipster and everything. Yeah. Like, I, I prefer, I prefer, look at this PC. Look, look what I can do with it. I, I hate when they touch the screen. They're like, look, it's a touchscreen and a laptop. I'm like, oh, don't touch the screen. Now your screen's got <laughs> fingerprints on it. Like, I know. Don't that do has that. never appealed to me. Oh, Ali Lama, I found him. This is yeah, great. You, see him? you got a friend him? I probably should, right? Probably should. You know what? Team meeting, whenever I can travel again. Teams oh, all together, guys. We found Ali Lama. We're going. Hey, here we'll you. make it a we'll make it a documentary. Huh? Yeah, just yeah. Our exactly. search for Ali Lama. The search for him. You bring it. Oh, you send a team over to to Lagos to try to find him, and oh, we're done. That's done. We're doing that. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. It's your point. This is the kind of goofy, fun, creative, first touch thinking that can happen if marketing is involved in the process. Yeah, well, I mean, I got I, I take most of my plays from Chris Savage from Wistia, CEO of Wistia. Yeah, he, he talks a lot about um, you should always market like a media company, and uh, your your marketing and I and Dave Gerhard talks about this a lot as well. Uh, your marketing should be entertaining and it should be an experience. Yeah, and you know, us filming a documentary to go meet Ali Lama uh, in oh, Southeast yeah. Asia. That is entertaining. Totally. That is marketing. Totally. And it's <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Chris, I'm going to send Chris a note and tell him we're doing it. Totally. Because I remember, um, I think it was uh, Casey Neistat, you know, he was like doing yeah. a drift conference or whatnot. And he, I don't know if it was Nike for that one too, but like Nike gave him like, you know, 
stupid money to go film a commercial. And he's like, instead of filming a commercial, we took the money and went traveling. They just filmed the whole thing. But it was yeah. way cooler than watching some like, rah, 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 you know, yeah. travel ad. It's like, no, him just being an idiot going in different places and these gorgeous like drone footages from all these different lands. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like you could spend that money on some corporate, you know, studio thing or just no. You and somebody else grab a camcorder, you know, handheld phone and just boom, you're going yeah. to Nigeria. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, I think for me, the balance usually is how do you, how do you balance the corporate side of it with the fun side? Mm. And I, because you, you, you know, some of us do sell into C-suite at fortune 100. Right. And there are, there is a point where, you know, maybe that is detrimental to your ability to sell these huge deals. It might not be, I don't know, but it's something that as marketing changes and becomes more experience oriented and becomes more entertainment um, that, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, it's a tough, tough call of figuring out when to be wearing a hat. Like we're both wearing hats. It's Friday, Friday, and we're wearing hats and you're you're like, you're the hat guy, right? We're talking earlier. It's like, I do like to wear hats. uh, Especially (laughs) because, I can grow hair, just not on my head, you know, like it's just not there. Um, I'm with you on that. You know, but like, uh, but if I'm going to a conference or something, I'm usually throwing on a blazer, not, not suit anymore, but you know, depending on the situation, sometimes you feel like you got to put that on. So how do you balance that? Do you, uh, how do you, when, when you wearing a hat, I mean, we could go full Dave Gearhart, right? Just wear the hoodie to the conference or what, what is it? How do you make that? I don't, I don't have a good answer, man. I, it depends on, depends on the audience, depends. I, as I, as I've um, grown older and wiser or whatever, that's probably not true at all, but um, I've, I've learned to be okay with just being comfortable with myself. And, and if I'm going to, if I want to wear a hoodie to a conference, I will, because you know what I've, I have, I've done good work in my life and my career and I can own up to it. And, um, if somebody doesn't like it, fine, but that, but the good, a good balance as well as MailChimp, uh, presents. And I don't know if you've looked at that, but it is, it's a bunch of doc short films and podcasts that has nothing to do. I mean, it speaks to entrepreneur, but it really has nothing to do with email marketing. It's just entertainment. MailChimp.com slash presents. Um, and they, they're doing all these docu-series that entrepreneurs in mind totally it. get it. So the right audience. Those are just, you know, those are, those are just some examples. I think Wistia does it great. I think MailChimp does it great. Um, and you know, we can all strive to be like them because they're more consumer oriented. True consumer versus the corporate. And, uh, I remember one time, uh, I was like, I'm going to be cool. Like I'm going to South by, but I was going to a business meeting in Chicago with some partners. And so I had like a Pardot t-shirt on and a blazer. And I was like, oh man, I'm so hip. I'm so trendy. <laughs> but then when I got to Chicago, I was like, eh, I don't know. This t-shirt doesn't seem like, it kind of looks like I'm wearing pajamas. So I like swooped into uh, Johnson and Murphy, like one of my favorite airplane, airport yeah, so like clothing one. stores. And I know the size. And I'm like, boop, grab it off the rack, throw it on. And I was so glad I did. because when I got there, everyone was in business casual. And it was like. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, it's um, also, it, yeah. I don't think. Uh, for me, it's not necessarily what they're going to think. It's my confidence level, right? Like if so I true. feel a little off, 
everybody you're you know you're just not going to perform 100 percent. so you're right. if i'm speaking in front of a bunch of financial services people i'm probably going to wear a suit because i'm going to feel better right yeah there's nothing wrong with that that yeah but, that's a really good point really it wasn't necessarily what they were thinking and maybe there's some of that but to your point if you were just feeling like ali lama here just ready to you know heal the masses then <laughs> yeah if you could have rolled in there in a just a t-shirt and sweatpants well, it's, it's not like on sweatpants. I think actually he might've had sweatpants on that day. I think, no. he, I think he did. I'm going to, I'm going to send him a note after he this should. we talked about his sweat, his uh, hoodie, but you it was, know, uh, it was uh, Louis Gadim. I don't know if you know him. Um, I don't know. AMA. He's at this like marketing breakfast and like Dave just swooped in and you know, flip flops, maybe, I don't even know. See now the image is just <laughs> getting worse the more I think about it. But, but uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it depends on who you're in front of uh, the context. I would never wear a full suit to anything remotely marketing ever. Yeah. Ever. So, you know, I, I just think that, you know, but if you're going to a gala, you probably should wear a black tux. Right. Like, not, right. not a, you know, so I just think it's the, I just think it's context. So right, like a bow tie, you know. Then you can wear yeah, a full bow tie. Be like I mean, that wear, guy. wear wear a colorful bow tie. Yeah, I mean, or like a big clown mean. one, right? <laughs> then no Fortune 500 wants to deal with you because they're like, that guy had a clown bow tie on. Because who the hell is that guy? They want to charge us how much for that? You know, one of the other things that came to mind too, as you're mentioning the balance, the corporate, and the fun, is something you'd said earlier, which was not only do you have a sales lieutenant, but you have to own a number. You know, I think sometimes where marketing can go wrong is we get all fun and creative like this, but we're yeah. not thinking it does need to somehow fit into the number that we are driving toward. Yeah. Well, the way that I, the way that I try to frame it is that you have, I, I actually separate the, the fun, creative and the revenue driving when it comes to like budget, especially because that's okay. really where it, it always comes back to budget. Right. So you know, we have, we're, there's these brand budgets, this direct mail, like stuff that we're doing as a company where, you know what? Success is very much based off of how people feel, right? Like yeah. we're getting mess. Like we do, um, a great example is we do these virtual events right now called Taste of Lessonly, where we're doing wine tasting, uh, mixology and cooking classes and painting classes. And you'll put, there's people that do it via Zoom. You'll put 30 to 40 people in there, prospects and customers. And I'm not going back to my team saying, how many opportunities did you create off of that event? Right. Or how many, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it saying, our top customer posted on LinkedIn about this event. Guess what? Done. Mark it up. That's, that's a success. Because right. People were smiling, they were having fun, and they were enjoying themselves. They weren't going to a Zoom webinar where you talked about your product for 60 minutes and then gave them a Grubhub gift card. Right. That's, that's boring as hell, right? It is boring. So the way that we think about it is your, your, product, um, your product has to work. It has to be great. But the experience before somebody interacts with the product has to be even better. That's why at our, at our user conference, Yellowship, we don't ever talk about our product. We don't do, it's not on the keynote stage um, ever. It's just, it, it is a conference to invest in people mm. and to make you better leaders and professionals, not to come to a conference to listen to our CTO talk about product features that they're launching. God, that's the worst, isn't it? 
And you, and, and usually it is now. Everyone checks their email. <laughs> absolutely. Unless, yeah. unless you're like Salesforce and you got a, you got a bunch of your public and you got a bunch of analyst briefings and you can't look like your phone, but like there's tons of reasons to do it. But for us, yeah. it's like, if you want to know about the products, we're going to have training about the products. And if you didn't know we were going to launch these things before you walked into a conference hall in Indianapolis, we're not doing our job. <laughs> True. You know what I mean? True. So it's, uh, I think it all comes back to how do you create experience that people enjoy so that they become, um, they become advocates because they believe that you care more than just your paycheck. Yeah. Caring seems to be like a singular thing. I know it even at my company, right? One of our core values is we care. It's the first yeah. one. We care. We have fun. We get things done, but it's like, we care because some people don't care. Right. <laughs> and you can tell in the marketing, you can tell in the, the product or the service or whatever it is, they really don't care. Somebody in charge doesn't care there. Maybe not everyone, but like, and, and that's, it doesn't come yeah. through. And that's where we come full circle here on the, uh, I, I think you have to care in order to win in the foreseeable future um, because there are way too many options out there now. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I could name 20, 20 companies we compete with. Right. Just off the top of my head. And that, that's, that's not even half of them, right? Yeah. So, and we all have the same screenshots, the same features, right? Like, you, yeah. that you, have to, you have to differentiate somehow. That's why we, our CEO wrote a book that has nothing to do with the product. It's all about just how do you do better work. Huh. What is, what, what's it called? Do better work. Better work. I like Which is that. our our missions and Leslie's mission mission statement is we help people do better work so they can live better lives. And like none of it's like get a learning management system. No, it's like share before ready and emotional intelligence and nonviolent communication and just how huh. do you be a respectable human being that's trying to learn, try to grow. And by the way, we also have software that you might want to look at. And if you don't, right. fine but at least we helped you at some point. Huh. And then even the conference yellow ship, it's like fellowship. It's, mm -hmm. you're not, it's not a pitch oh, fest, yeah. which is oh, really yeah. refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's, it's it. And, and we, and it's the best time. And we have you, if you can, if you can build a relationship with your customers outside of just the fact that your software works for them, where, where you have friendships developing, yeah. you, you've built a community that is hard to displace. Mm. And it's very, very hard to do. Um, I've, you know, Exact Target had that. I was very lucky to see that at Exact Target yeah. um, as part of the orange culture. And it was yeah, part yeah, of the really, orange. You got, you, yeah. you got colors here. You've gone yeah. from orange to yellow. Yeah. <laughs> We yeah, move we on. You can't go anywhere unless it's called like it's got a clear color to it. Yeah, I just I just moved from orange to to llama, so I just jumped into an animal from a color. But it's oh, um, yeah, yeah. But that's part of the reason why I decided to join Leslie's because that the substance of that was there. Is that you know the mission statement, the values, the way the CEO yeah. Max Yoder and our our leadership team, the way they led the company. It, it's whether we like it or not, it's great marketing. Yeah. 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 And it's fun too, which yeah. makes it refreshing. Cause I think sometimes we take ourselves too seriously with all of it. Um, yeah. 
Very most cool of the stuff. time we take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. God, I cannot stop thinking about going and meeting this Ali Muhammad guy. <laughs> totally, man. That'd I'm be so, so cool. I mean, what what do flights to Nigeria cost you? <laughs> Pull uh, way too expensive because we all cannot get on a plane. We I was supposed to go to um I was supposed to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in July. But we've had to push that back. Oh wow. So well you'll get to do it. That's awesome. That'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I'm looking see now I'm just really looking forward to it because now that it's been canceled, now I'm just really dying to go. I mean before I was kind of <laughs> nervous. Now I'm just like, whatever, just get me there. I want to go. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so good. Take Thank you for dinner. that idea. I will let you know if we decide to do it. Yeah, let me know, man. Bring him a llama. <laughs> you bring him one. Get your photo with him, frame it, put it on the wall. That'd be oh, awesome. That's so funny. That'd be uh. awesome. What well, hey, you know, with, with all this all this stuff we're in right now, um, what do you think? The future? Can can you see the future? I know sometimes I've been sort of like narrowly focused on like the here and now. Do you see anything coming around the bend that's exciting or dumb you want to, we should watch out for, or maybe we should like think more about as it develops? Hmm. Um, I, I think that the most interesting thing, at least in, in our world, is that, that we, we are gluttons for software. Mm. And I'm, I'm not 100% sure, and I'm speaking on behalf of myself, because we buy a lot of software too as a sure. marketing team. We do. Yep. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. And there's a, there comes a point where too much software uh, ruins the experience for the consumer, the prospect, because you have no, uh, you have no way to keep track of everything that's going on because right. you've got just too, so many processes running, um, integrations running. So I think a simplification of the marketing stack is, is going to happen. Um, it will happen through acquisition anyway, but mm. simplification of, I think, I think simplifying most things that we do as marketers is going to be important because um, it shouldn't be that hard. Uh, from a future perspective, you know, I'm, I'm imagining that there, there's probably some type of experience on the website that reinvents what, the, what a website should do and mm, be. Right. I figure that that's probably up for a disruption here sometime in the next two or three, four years, you know, whether, whether you don't, maybe you don't have an about page, maybe it's just your product. People just jump in your product and if they like the product, great. And that's more of the product like growth stuff. But I'm imagining that, that that's going to go through a disruption at some point. But um, other than that, CMOs becoming CROs. That's going to happen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just, uh, I think with the simplification, I mean, it's, it's interesting point, right? I think, when things get complex, that's when they get complicated, you know? Right. Oh, no, when they're complex, the comp, yeah, of course, but no, when they're complicated, that's when things like slow down. They don't, they don't happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can't execute when they're so complicated. You don't know what's happening. You get emails flying around the place and you're just like, what is going on? I don't even know. Cause I've got nine different systems and they're all saying different things. I, I think I've heard things, especially around now where, you leave your automations going during a time like this. Well, guess what? Like 
yeah. this hat, the shipping, they're like, your hat arrived. I'm like, no, it didn't. Now I'm worried. And now I right. emailed them and they're like, oh, it's just delayed, you know, with COVID and everything. I'm like, yeah, I know that, but you, you let me know that it was here. Right. So I got all, right. if you just like kill that process or push it out a week, you know, just customize it, but no, too automated. We can, we can get too complicated for our own good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially consumer like e-commerce brands, and this is a little bit out of my element, but you know, making as, it as personalized as possible is important. And those are complex systems that can, that can do that, right. but the process, but the, the, it has to feel simple. I think that's what it is. You can have complex systems, but it has to feel simple for the end user. Always. Right. That's it. Um, well, here's my next question. Like, who are you? Like, <laughs> how did you become this like cool marketer? who is going to go chase someone across the world to Nigeria and like yeah. <laughs> golden llamas. Real, yeah. Real creepy. Take us back to like little cow days. What was it like? Did you always think you're going to be in business and that kind of thing or? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, my, my original, my original thought in high school was to be in music business and work at a record label. I, I was a musician, but I wasn't a good musician. So I wanted to be a manager. You know, I wanted to make, I wanted to make money off the people who were really good at music, basically. And then when I got to school, I realized that when I got to college, I realized that the music business degree was way more music than business, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, I was learning how to be a producer, which I didn't want to do. So that's when I started getting into marketing um, on in the business side in general, helping, you know, my father with his management company on marketing. And at that time, postcards were really a cool thing direct mail to send and we were sending thousands of these direct mail postcards that we'd print out his office and then um after college you know i i just fell into starting an agency i worked for a small agency and then she allowed me to start a competing agency out of her office which was wow yeah, it was cool i mean i had lorraine ball was her is her name and, shout out to uh, lorraine that's awesome yeah, it's awesome. So the company it's like breaking there. up with a girlfriend and still living there. Yeah. I don't know. How, how did you <laughs> Well, we were. I think what she she thought, we didn't compete. I mean, I, oh, I say that as, but, you know, we, I built WordPress sites. She built WordPress sites. She was just more niche. Like she was doing service-oriented companies. I was going after software. Um, yeah. So ran an agency for five years. During that time, in order for us to sell anything, because we were in our tw early 20s, we had to start talking about MySpace and Facebook and Twitter. And yeah, right. Because people would actually listen to me when I was like, yeah, MySpace, you should create a waterfall in your background on your business page or whatever. Um, and you should probably add some music. The <laughs> we, we turned into a social agency. And God. then through that, I had the opportunity to write Twitter marketing for dummies. And through the opportunity with Twitter marketing for dummies, I got exact target, which was a large, for those of you who don't know, very large email service provider, which is now the Salesforce marketing cloud. Um, I, they became a customer of mine and I was basically training their sales reps on how to sell Twitter because they had bought CoTweet at the time. Got um, it. Yeah. And when we ran, we ran our agency into the ground. I was, I was a terrible business person. Terrible. Um, I went and worked, I went over and worked for exact target, best decision I ever made. So I was there, I was there for 
three years through our IPO and then the acquisition by Salesforce, spent a year at Salesforce. Yeah. And so that, that evolved my love for software and content marketing. And yeah. I spoke at 45 events a year as part of this exact target thought leadership team that I was a Jeez. part of with, with Jeff Roars and uh, Joel Book. And um, after that, I went to, so I knew I loved software. I knew I wanted to be in marketing leadership. So I went and worked for a venture capital firm in Boston called OpenView. Okay. Yeah. And I know those guys. Those guys are cool. Spent two years there. I ran their marketing for OpenView as well as just consulting the portfolio. And that's where I fell in love with, that's where I truly fell in love with startup software. Exact Target, I joined, we were over a hundred million dollars when I Beast. joined. So yeah, behemoth. I, I could have just like failed at everything I was doing and they, it still would have succeeded. So it was- right? Like you died at your desk and your body's just falling. Yeah, they, just nobody noticed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're too busy selling. They keep dropping memos software. off of your desk. You're like office space <laughs> or something. <laughs> but, but as part of, but, but with exact target, I ran a team, a content team that where we were doing content in seven countries in five days. Wow. Right. So you got a lot of experience there. And then I got right. the experience viewing all the portfolio companies at OpenView and Lessonly, where I'm at now is a portfolio company of OpenView. So when they were looking for a VP of marketing, I was like, this, this makes sense to me. I love the mission. I love the people. My wife and I were looking to move back to Indy where we're at now. Oh yeah. And, back to um, Indy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So long story short, it, it, it is marketing has been like my dad bought, bought me a mowing. <laughs> it's very, uh, I don't, this sounds terrible. My, my dad bought me a mowing business when I was in high school to run it just to teach me. And that's kind really? of where I fell in love with. I had to figure out how to market the mowing business. It was like a, it was like a lawn care business, like an actual yeah. business. Picture perfect lawn care. Wow. <laughs> how many people did it have in it? Oh, it was like three of my friends and me. Oh, okay. Just, okay. But he like kind of helped you get started with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I say, when I say bought a lawn mowing business, he bought a truck and two mowers. And then oh, okay. I thought you meant like there's an established business. No, no, He's no, like, no, here, no, son, you're the CEO. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> At 15, he's like, I think you should run this 400 person mowing company. Right. Um, no. So, so I, I just learned that I love marketing and I right. love creativity. I love design. I love the idea of brand. And I've been lucky enough to work for companies that obsessive Salesforce obsesses about brand exact yeah. target obsessed about brand lessonly. We do the same. So yeah. that's kind of the story. So it, it's, it's, um, and the books that I've written, they're all out of print. So, I would, uh, you know, au contraire, I looked one up. As oh, no, not out of print, out of, um, you shouldn't buy them because. No, okay, because I saw, you know, social CRM, $24, the Twitter for dummies, $32, one copy left. And all the UIs out of date in the book. <laughs> one copy left of both, both of your books. Uh, and then the third one, uh, one, copy so what, one copy left in all these bookstars. It's about There's, to become a Picasso. <laughs> the right. one book that's still relevant is the Branding Yourself book. Would you write um, another one having gone through that process three times? I mean, that's pretty, I did one. I, I launched yeah. one this January and it was like, it's a ride. Uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, they probably wouldn't do one with me anyway. Like I did it through Wiley and Pearson and yeah. they, they had to put like four editors on my content because I'm a terrible writer. <laughs> 
It was just bad. You know what they do now? Like what I did with mine is you can talk the book. So I, I just, I presented. Oh, that's a good and idea. Each presentation was like a chapter. You know, so it's like hour long presentation. I would prep that, but then I could have fun and be me and make jokes. And and then the whole goal is just not letting the editors like take out the personality. And one of the, one of the things was I I put in this, you know, Top Gun where he's talking about being inverted with a Russian MIG doing like a 3G or 5G turn. Like that's impossible. He's like, nope, I just did it. So I, I put a reference of that in my book and then not even thinking about it. I just put it in there. And then I get a note from the editor later on when they're going through each chapter and they're like, what exactly, what, what does the MIG have in the, the 5G term? What does it have to do with what you're, t-? and I'm like, you caught me. It has nothing to do with any of that. I just wanted to talk about it. And I think we left, I don't remember, but I think we left it in there. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, it would have to be something pretty, pretty amazing for me to do it, honestly. Yeah. I just, don't, it, I just don't enjoy it that much. Well, it's, it, you need to be like really in love with what you're doing because yeah. even by the end, you probably experience this like you hate what you're doing at the end. You're like, I hate this content. I've seen it 9,000 times. Yep. I don't want to see it ever again. Yep. And then it's exactly. done. You're like, oh yeah, okay, it's done. But for yeah. a while, it's kind of hard. And yeah, it was not easy. It, you, you know, it was definitely not easy. So question for you, you know, looking at all these different amazing jumps you've made and the books that have come out and the 45 presentations a year and all these different things. If you could go back, hypothetical, I may or may not have a time machine in Nashua, New Hampshire. <laughs> you can't use it right now. COVID people, you know, be, be an issue, but this clears up. You come, you visit, you get in the time machine, you go back and you visit yourself at the beginning of your career. You just, you, know, you could be earlier, but maybe you just graduated with your degree. You got your marketing degree. You're like, here I am world. Take me. Right. So you get to talk to that, that Kyle, what would you tell yourself? Any kind of advice you'd give yourself? Hmm. Man, I, I don't think I would, there's really one thing that I wish I would have spent more time developing when I was younger, which is, uh, um, like EQ, emotional intelligence. Um, the, the, the idea that the idea of empathy, of having empathy, both in personal and the work, work environment. Um, it's taken me quite a long time to start developing that, that, um, muscle, um, yeah. and I wish that I would have done that earlier on in my career because there, there were times where I was just a dick when, <laughs> yeah, when right? I was younger. Cause you know, you, you just think you're the, you're the king of the world and you haven't, you haven't had the experience, but you think you should, you should have the respect, even though you haven't done all of it. Right. Right. And the respect from other people. And I just, I think it's more about me stepping back and having empathy for some of the people that I dealt with when I was younger in my professional career. Um, and that's really it. I don't think I'd change. I'm very lucky that I have made solid career decisions. Um, I don't think I would change anything other than that. Yeah. That's interesting. Not changing the different paths, but at least just like, Hey man, people are people. I I think there's a little bit of that. Like we're all kind of a little bit of a, a jerk when we're younger, not everyone, but I like you look back and you're like, ah, you know, kind of been nicer to those people, but you kind of, that teaches you, sticks with you. Like, yeah, yeah that was sure. wrong move. I should have been nicer sure. there. But, uh, and as you get older, you're like, Hey, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. <laughs> right. Like, um, 
Yeah, that, that's cool. <laughs> More EQ. How do you know you have empathy or not? How do you know when you have it? How do you know when it's, you're getting more of it? How do you know you didn't have enough? I mean, when you, when you actually think about what the other person is feeling before you say something, okay. I think that's probably the way that I framed it. There's way more eloquent ways to say that. But, you know, for me early on, even, even the past, it's taken four or five years for me to really try to develop it. But I, I didn't ever think about what the other person was feeling. It was all about, you know, the, what I needed to get done or what I wanted to do. Right. And there's a certain point where that works, you know, like we were, we were the first three or four years of our agency, we were pretty successful for, for not doing it and for not having done it before and being 24 and 25 years old. Uh, But because I lacked empathy, I didn't try to understand our employees or what they were Mm. feeling. And we ran into the ground because it was toxic. So, um, you know, I, I just think that when you start remembering to think about other people before you act, that that's, that's more of an inner, um, I don't know. It's an, it's an intelligence that I didn't have before. Sure. Sure. It seems like the thing to focus on for sure. Yeah. And, and grow and try to work it like a muscle and get better at it. Yeah. Yeah. And it it applies to customers as well. Like Mm -hmm. if back when I was 23 doing graphic design and I had an accounting firm that needed a brochure, I was late like a couple of weeks on the design of the brochure. And I never thought that they maybe needed it for a presentation or a conference. And I think you learn that throughout your career to be more empathetic towards people. Yeah. Like what does this mean to those people? And customers. You know, like, yeah. here's a great example. We, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm, I'm hoping that when people listen to this, we're not. But right now, right. we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? We, at Lessonly, we had to figure out how to reposition some of our event budget. And what we decided to do was, was roll up these Zoom calls called Llama Lunches, where we bought people gift cards and they came and listened to career coaches, financial advisors, uh, executive coaches, and we mainly made it free. I mean, it was all free, but we mainly gave it to our customers who've been furloughed and fired. I don't think I would have ever thought to do that when I was in my early twenties, um, no matter what. Right. So that's just an example of you as, as you become a better marketer and you understand that empathy for the prospect and the customer is very much dependent on the experience that they are having with your company. I think you just, you grow that muscle over time. And I just wish I would have spent more time on it earlier. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense, man. Um, yeah. So, I mean, where do you spend your time these days? Like you're, you're at home, right? Um, In the Lacey family office. When you're taking a break from that, you got, you got the family at home, you know, I know you, you read a lot, right? Um, I do. I, I mean, look, I, it's, it's different with this working from home thing. I, yeah. especially when you've got to, you feel like you have to be in front of people more via zoom. So you have way too many throughout the day you have to work, but outside of this massive monster virus and, and we're, you know, sure. all normal. Um, I spend it, you know, I, my two things that I spend the most time doing outside of work are running and, um, 
reading. I read historical works, mostly, mostly World War II, Civil War. Huh. Um, sometimes I get into like the Crusades, the 1400s, 1500s. Um, Interesting. I love military history. Um, and that's usually where I spend. I don't really read business books. Um, last, last one I read was Nine, Nine Lies About Work, which is a brilliant book. Um, but I really don't read other things other than like Civil War, World War II, um, and, and biographies. You know. What is it about that that makes it like it just really stands out to you and it appeals to you so much? I, I've, I've been obsessed with, with the military since I was little. Like I, um, I, re- I remember the first time I watched Gettysburg. I don't know if you're. Oh, that dude! Movie. I was just telling someone that was like favorite movie. If I had to pick on that day, it was Gettysburg. Yeah, it could be the Gladiator. It could be something else, but that this day is, I was like it's Gettysburg. And this is when you could rent videos in the supermarket. Yeah. Right. So we would go to Marsh, which is a local supermarket here, and where I where I grew up in Anderson, and I would rent Gettysburg, and I've seen I saw it probably. 30 times by the time i was eight years old and wow. uh, the music is so good <laughs> have you watched it recently no is, is it's it, a ter- it's terrible is it terrible is it a bad it's, it's a terrible movie <laughs> it's like macgyver right macgyver is actually terrible but it was so good when i was a kid oh it's it's so bad it's it's martin sheen isn't even good as robert oh e. come on is, he's the best robert e lee but so maybe that's why you shouldn't watch it like 20 years that's why you shouldn't watch it. So don't <laughs> just, just don't watch it. Just no, believe. No, but because of that, I I've <laughs> spent I've gone to tons of Civil War battlefields. So it's just something that I enjoy learning about the strategy, sure. the geo geopol, geopolitics mostly, and World War II is fascinating to me with Germany and Austria and um, the, yeah. the rise of the Third Reich and all that stuff, the '30s and the '40s. So I could, I could talk about that all day long. Yeah. So, and it's, it's almost, would you ever be like a history professor or anything like that? Would you ever? Maybe. I mean, if I, if I fail, fail miserably at marketing, I will maybe do that. I don't know if I could. It's a good question. Probably. I could probably do it. Cause it's like, you know, it just, it sounds like it's definitely an equal passion up to like the marketing front as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Just the idea of history. Yeah, it's it, it's actually I am, I am more passionate about history than I am marketing. Um, Interesting. But I am better at marketing than I am history. <laughs> so that makes right. I don't know right. If that oh, makes totally. Sense. Like I'm not one that's going to write a research paper on why Roosevelt was an asshole or whatever. Like I'm just like it's just not going to be me. Um, so I think that. You know, this is, I, I love Mark. Don't get me wrong. I love marketing. Oh yeah, just, totally. If you were, if you were to say, do you want to read this, this book about uh, market building marketing value or whatever, a SWOT analysis, or do you want to read this book about Stonewall Jackson? I'm always going to pick the book on Stonewall Jackson. Totally. Do you, do you know uh, Nate Skinner? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, have you guys ever talked history? I don't think so. I don't know. I know of him. I don't, um, he, he was, uh, he was at part now he's at Oracle, which I think I've met Nate. Dramatic. <laughs> yes, that is. I think I've met him. We're not connected on LinkedIn, which you know what that means. Yeah. I'll introduce you guys afterward. What's interesting though, is 
he i think he got his undergrad in history or no he went back and got a history degree just for giggles because he loves it too oh yeah i'd love to i'd love to talk to him. you guys are both in marketing and you're both like he was even contemplating like hmm do i go be a vp somewhere or do i go just geek out and get a doctorate in history or something and be just like a teaching assistant you know like see yeah i i would i would i would love to talk to him i would yeah love- man I don't know if I could do a doctorate, honestly. I'm, I barely graduated undergrad. You've done. But... You've actually done three. <laughs> Your right. books are right. essentially a doctorate degree. I'm realizing this. Um, All right, maybe I can. Yeah, I'd yeah. love to meet him. Yeah, in this case, it doesn't have to be about social sh- sharing or social. <laughs> it could be about like be tweet deck and hootsuite. Like, yeah, here's the button that you push. Right, but then you have to go deep on one subject. So I don't know if, if like if you had to go hardcore hey on the hardcore marketing show if you had to go on pick one subject for that book that thesis because because i think we were talking earlier it's it's not like on a different show it's not like you'd be like oh the history of africa no it's like the 18th century such and such revolution and how it affected the common you know would you focus on anything in particular any parts of history that you would just Mm. geek out on if you had to pick one, would it be the Civil War? Maybe Civil War. Uh, it, yeah, maybe. I I think there's just too much written about the Civil War. Um, I've always I've always been fascinated with the civilian life in Europe during World War II. Yeah. So by country, like how is it different between Britain and? Uh, even even northern UK, Ireland, huh. Norway, Austria, Germany. Um, the one commonality is that they it was just hell for everyone, right? But um, I'm interested in maybe you know the uh, Band of Brothers yeah. or the uh, World War II documentary by um, the brilliant documentary guy, um, whatever his name is. God, he's got a terrible toupee. Um, but there's a World War II documentary where he talks about five cities, five U.S. cities, okay, and the people that went to war from those five cities and how it affected those five towns. Wow! Okay. Um, during the course of World War II, that's probably I would probably do something around civilian life during World War II. Sweet. I was even thinking like sometimes you see pictures of even like France, and it looks like business as usual, but it's not because they're occupied, right? And so. And like, what were people, and it's like, I think even now we all try to get back to some, something that reminds us of normalcy, even if we're in yeah. a different situation. So it may look like, but yeah. it's like World War II, but actually we're trying to, you know, find some humanity. Well, you, I read, I just read a book called Viol, The Violin, The Splendid by Eric Larson that was about oh. uh, Chamberlain, um, but um, during the bombing of London, um, and the the how the civilian population did I say no? It's Churchill, not Chamberlain. God, that's completely different people. Um, I was going to say totally different uh, era, <laughs> way different. Um, but about Churchill and his family, how they dealt with it, and then how the civilian population in London dealt with with uh, four hundred and fifty days of bombing almost every day. Jeez. And eventually, it was normal. Like the, it, it was like, huh. oh, here comes another bomber. Here comes, here comes more incendiary bombs. And I just trying to understand that type of mentality 
um, I think it's interesting just the psychology around survival and um, when when you don't have the means of fighting back because it was in the dark and it was just bombs being dropped on your head. Like I just. Yeah. You have no control over that. You, you can't do anything. You just, you're there. That would be interesting. And I guess the only risk would be, you know, with books and with studying it, like if you, if you have to do it so much, you're like, I freaking hate this man. Like I don't ever want to see another history book again. So as long as you could walk that line and. Yeah. If I could, if I could find a topic that I was passionate about and I wrote a book and I could go on a speaking circuit at universities to talk about it. I would love that. I would love to do that. That would be cool. Maybe you introduce me to Nate and we write a book together and we can go on a Dude, there it is. X X Salesforce people going on a book tour. That's it, man. There it is. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's pretty extraordinary, you know? That's awesome. Well, hey, where can people connect with you? Connect with you, connect with Lessonly, like what throw some URLs out. Yeah, I mean lessonly.com, L-E-S-S-O-N-L-Y.com. And then for me, LinkedIn. Um, just search my name, Kyle Lacey, L-A-C-Y. And then Twitter, it's Kyle P Lacey. Um, and those are the best places. Okay, on Twitter, make sure you throw that P in there. Yeah, Kyle Placey. Oh, there right. Right, right. I'm pretty sure I follow you on there. I think yep, so. Yep, yeah. I do. Probably from back in the day, probably even the exact target days and all of that. Yep, way back. Yeah. Hates onions. This is what I learned about you at the end of the podcast. You hate onions. I hate them. I hate them. Really? I love the color gray. I hate onions. I just can't stand them. I don't mind um, onions like like uh, fried onions or yeah. um, like getting un- loaded, can- the loaded yeah. steak tips or something. You don't mind yeah. the no, just not raw, like, like in a salad. Raw onions on like a salad or hamburger. No, thank you. Well, you had a bad experience one day and then, you know, it just stuck with you probably. Sure. I don't blame you for onions. I mean, I, I'll take your onions. So just give them to me. But like Tom Brady and strawberries, like, come on, it's a strawberry. You'll be fine. <laughs> you know? At least an onion. We, we've, we've all cried for onions, you know? So we, yeah, it's fair enough. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, thanks for coming on here, dude. This has yeah, been man. fun. Just Chad, we'll have to talk again after, after all this is done and we're out and about and, you got to let me know how your trip goes, right? Maybe we'll get you back on here after. Oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm going to throw this into Slack right when I get off here. Awesome. Awesome. For those listening, if you learned anything, and I freaking know you did, because I've got two pages of notes over here, front and back, then share this with someone, right? Be a thought leader to one person, 92 people, 89, whatever. But also throw your own take on it. Like, here's this thing. I listen to Kyle and Casey and they're chatting about this stuff. Here's what I got from it. So put your own spin on it so that people can kind of look to you as a thought leader and just get that information out, share it with people. And again, Kyle, thanks again for coming on here, man. Yeah. I feel like this was just a blast. Hanging My out pleasure. You. It was awesome. Thank you. You bet. You bet, man. And for those listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.